Hi, this is Pastor Matt, and you're listening to the Lakeside Church Weekly Message Podcast. This is where we broadcast our Sunday morning teaching, so if you missed it or want to hear it again, you're in the right place. Every week we try to teach God's Word in a way that is real so that it becomes alive to you as you hear it. If this message speaks to you in any way, let us know by clicking on our website's contact page at lakesidelife.org, where you can find out more about the church, watch some videos, and even give online. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the podcast. Okay, so Acts chapter 17, I'm going to read a few different verses throughout this passage, and um, I'm going to, uh, throughout this chapter. And part of the reason is because the end of the chapter, I actually preached on in August, and I don't want to do a rehash of that, um, but there'll be a, just a little bit that, that I talk about. And um, it really comes down to this, in terms of a question of the day, the main point of the day, is that <clears throat> if Christ has meant anything to you, think about that, okay? If Christ has meant anything to you, I know that's a lot of people in this room, that Christ has done something for you, something great, that Christ gave his life for you, if that means anything to you, and more specifically, if it's brought some kind of meaning to your life, some kind of hope, fulfillment, if it's brought you joy, okay, if it's brought you those things, how bad would you have to hate somebody to not want them to have the same thing? Now, it's tough language, okay? But how bad would you have to hate somebody if you have the greatest thing ever given? I mean, I've got kids, okay? And sometimes when the other kid is playing with something that the one kid owns, they want it back. And partly it's because they're jealous and they, they, they want to play with it right then. But sometimes they're in such bad moods that they just don't want the other person to get the enjoyment of it. You ever see that in kids? Okay, what happens in adults sometimes too, I don't think that's the motivation here, but if you just looked at our actions, I think we could sometimes be accused of it. How bad would you have to hate somebody to have the greatest thing in the world knowing the person who gave it to you wants it for everyone and you can't find a way to share it with them? Because this is the kind of gift that once you have received it from the giver, he's asked you to pass it on to others. He's asked you to pass the gift on, the message of the gift to others, okay? He is the one who then gives them this gift, but you are the one to tell them about it. Now, I don't know why he's done that. It's in his great wisdom that God has done it, but he's made us the messengers of the gospel. He's made us the messengers of the gospel. And Romans says, how can they hear without a preacher, okay? And I know not many of us are comfortable with preaching, uh, but it's really just a messenger without somebody to tell them about the message. So my challenge to you today is, my challenge is if Christ has meant anything to you, then you should want to be able to give this. Okay, so maybe we're all there now. Maybe, maybe, maybe we're saying, you know, Matt, I, 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 want, I want to do that. Because I know I do, and I'm assuming you guys have those kind of hearts too that you want to share it, and it just comes down to the unbearable, uncomfortability Sometimes with the social norms that we have set up and in a country of freedom of religion, but what that really means is so don't push your religion on other people, okay? And in, in those kind of social norms, so now we have to have workplace laws, but when you can say whatever. And it's just how in the world do you get in this conversation without pushing somebody away? I know with my neighbors sometimes, it's like when is go time? Because if it doesn't go well today, I still have to live with them 
you know, for a long time, uh, you know, and stuff like that. And, you know, it's very tough, right? Because you can, you can find any excuse in the world. And so um, uh, the answer, I'll tell you what the answer is, okay? Okay, those are all valid concerns. And you're going to think that the answer is get over it, okay? It's actually not. I'm going to tell you how we need to get over it. And, and, and the way that we need to get over it is this, to be getting better at it. Okay, now that sounds, we don't normally talk about getting better at Lakeside. We, we actually preach a lot about grace. What I mean is to have such a compassion and a passion for reaching people that if you knew there was ways that you could become more effective at sharing the message, if you knew there was ways to be more effective, that you'd be just pouring yourself into getting better in that way. Okay, and I want to give you five things that I don't care where you are as a Christian this morning. You will always, myself included, need to be growing in these five things if you want to always be effective. And these are the kind of tools that if you don't use it, you lose it kind of things. It can get rusty, okay? And so we always need to be growing in these areas, okay? So we're going to start out and read some of these passages of Scripture. I'm just going to notice these five things in in chapter 17. So the first one I had to use alliteration, you know, on each point, so excuse me for sometimes better words of fit. You have to be growing in your fluency of the fundamentals. You have to be growing in, the fluent, in your fluency of the fundamentals. You're not really preaching the gospel until you're actually preaching the basics of the gospel. So, you look at Acts chapter 17, verses 1 through 4. This is just the next phase of Paul's missionary journey. And remember this, Luke... Okay, Luke uh, is, has accompanied Paul through all of this. And at the end of their time, he's writing a record just like he did with his gospel. He wrote a record of Jesus' life. Now Luke is writing a record. Uh, 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 Luke is, is, is writing a, a uh, what's the word I just used? A record of, of the church after Jesus. That's what Acts is. And Luke is writing Acts. And you can tell it's 28 chapters long. He was with them for years, so he didn't include everything. He included things that he felt were important. So this is an important thing, and this is the word of God, okay? So Acts 17, 1 through 4. Then they, him included, traveled through Amphipolis and Apollonia and came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. Now, as usual, Paul went to the synagogue and on three Sabbath days reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and showing that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I'm proclaiming to you is the Messiah. Then some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, including a great number of God-fearing Greeks as well as a number of the leading women. Okay, so Paul, this is kind of his MO at this point. Whenever he goes into a city, first place he goes is the synagogues, the local Jewish synagogues. Um, <clears throat> we can speculate as to why that is. It's like you got to start somewhere. You know, in some ways, that may be a good explanation. When you're going into a place, that, especially as he goes to these more Greek-speaking places, it's like, I need to kind of amass a bit of a following so that when we bring the message to the other people, maybe we have strength in numbers. And that could be a valid reason as to why he goes. Um, I think also, as you've seen in these last few chapters we've been looking at, though, there has been some conflict with the Jewish leaders over the nature of the gospel, okay? And uh, they're so used to 
what, what salvation looks like or what being God's covenant people, let me use that phrase, not salvation, but being God's covenant people, what that looks like is following the Jewish code of law and circumcision and all these things we've been talking about, right? So maybe part of the reason is uh, Paul is going uh, there to refute these doctrines. Now he refutes that doctrine all over the place, but I think the reason he does it in the synagogues is he wants to refute it to the leaders in front of the regular people. Okay, and it's not to embarrass anybody. It is so that uh, it is so that there's some real weight behind it. Because if he can stand alone and refute all the the leaders in the synagogues and, and explain to them the right things, uh, then then the people and he does it in front of the people. Then it's different than if he went to the people and then they went back to their synagogue leaders and they said, No, 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 let, let us straighten you out. Okay, because now Paul's done it right in front of them. Now here's what's interesting though: they could talk about a lot of stuff. Okay. They could talk about a lot of stuff that um, is changing. Um, they could talk about all the Mosaic law and how it was. This was just meant to show you your sin. This actually isn't actually important that we follow certain Levitical practices anymore. That was all just kind of, uh, you know, a structure by which we can understand our lostness before a holy God and our unholiness. This is all this structure to do that, but it's actually not the thing itself. This is actually not the way to become God's covenant people. And he could have talked about all those different systems and tore them down one by one. But this passage says that on three Sabbath days, three consecutive Sabbath days, Saturdays or, you know, we, let's call them Sundays for today. He reasoned with them from the scriptures explaining something specific, showing them that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. That's a very specific message. The first thing you have to do is master the fluency of the fundamentals. I've found sometimes that I look around our city, for example, and I see there is pockets where there's real hope that's needed and, and great big pockets of, and, 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 and they need a message of hope, but they need message of hope in a lot of areas. Sometimes it's this financial peace stuff. Right? Like sometimes people just need to believe that there's a better future for themselves. Okay? But, the, but to be fluent in the fundamentals of the gospel means that whenever we're sharing Christ, we're not just sharing somebody who can give you purpose for your life. We're not just you know, sharing somebody who can show you the steps um, to get out of poverty or something like that. When we're sharing Christ, to be fluent in the fundamentals means that we are comfortable in communicating that you are dead in your sin, that you are sinful. That one day you'll be judged, not for the right things that you've done really, but for the wrong things. If you have ever done anything wrong, you'll be found as unholy and therefore unfit for God's kingdom. So why did the Messiah have to suffer and die? Because a holy God who is eternally good must hate evil so much that it is in his very character to destroy and punish evil. And so the reason the Messiah had to suffer is that doesn't work when you combine, okay, I must punish evil with this idea of, but I love these people. How can both of those exist at the same time? And God finds one way that they can both exist. I will give my own son and I will punish him for your wrongdoing. I will punish him for what you did wrong because I want to live in eternity with you and you are just unfit to do that. I wouldn't be holy if I allowed you as you are into my presence. And so I must remove the penalty for your sin 
And when Jesus hung on the cross, he just poured out his wrath on his own son. His own son was so ugly to him that as the song says, the father turned his face away. Jesus cried out, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it was because this was God's plan to make you righteous. Okay? That's the gospel. The flu- be fluencing the gospel is to have these things that God has made you. Okay? He created you. You turned away from him. That he gave of his own son so that you wouldn't have to be punished for your sin so that he could live with you forever. These are the basics of the gospel. And Paul never forgot that. So on three days in the synagogue, he never got off that point. That was it. Okay? We have to be growing in that. And recently, I, I mentioned I read a couple books. One of them was Gospel Fluency, and one of them was Saturate. And, and, and in those, they kind of re, uh, uh, encouraged me that, man, yeah, if I tried to sit, what are the basics of the gospel? I'd get tongue-tied, wouldn't you? Sometimes we get tongue-tied because I'm used to, maybe you're used to telling it to kids, but if you were to tell it to a normal person, it just maybe it would sound so religious. So practice it. I'm not kidding. In the car. In the car, practice it. These days, that's not weird anymore. People think you're talking on the phone. I mean, it's not weird. I talk in the car making arguments all the time, okay? Sometimes I'm actually arguing with somebody, okay? You ever do that? Like, I'm actually mad at somebody, and I probably need forgiveness for those times. But oftentimes, I'm try- I've been trying, especially this fall, to go over, can I really share the gospel with somebody in a normal way that makes it relevant to somebody who hasn't been to church before, okay? And that's called being coming fluent in the fundamentals, okay, where you, you can articulate them well in English, Okay, and uh, and so there you go. So the fluency of the fundamentals. Now, the second thing we have to be growing in is our capacity for compassion. If you don't have compassion, none of this matters. Doesn't matter if you're fluent, because compassion is what's going to drive you to tell others about it. Okay, so Acts 17. Verse 16 through 17, Paul is waiting for his buddies. He left behind, I think it was Timothy and another guy. They had left behind the last place, and he went on uh, kind of make arrangements in the next place. And it says, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was troubled within him when he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned with them in the synagogue with the Jews and those who worship God and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Okay, he was troubled in his spirit. When he saw this. And, and this wasn't just a doctrinal thing I don't believe. I believe in order to really get out of bed in the morning and spend all day in the marketplace just hoping to run into somebody that you can share the gospel with. It has to be more than you're just upset that they have wrong doctrine. It's you're looking around a city and you're seeing this idol over here and it's the idol that they're praying to for, for crops or something. And there's this other one that they're doing some kind of rain dance for, you know, to, to escape judgment from something. And, and it's like their hope, they're walking around, they're completely hopeless because they're praying to these false idols and, and they're trapped in this system that is false. And Paul's looking around and saying their whole lives are a mess because of this and he's moved by compassion in his heart. Okay? The parables in Luke 15, the woman with the lost coin, right? The shepherd who loses a sheep and the prodigal son. And how each parable follows this thing that something was lost and then it was found and there was a celebration after. Speak to those three parables together written by the same author of the passage we're studying together, Dr. Luke. Okay, Those three parables are there to teach us that the father's heart, the celebration part of it, is that's an emotion 
He's not just motivated by doctrine. He is moved emotionally. God is moved emotionally by a heart that beats for people. And we get closer to God when we learn to have the same heart. So we must be growing in our capacity for compassion. Okay. Uh, Now I've lost my notes. Where did they go? Here we go. Third thing. Oh, oh, by the way, I had one, one more uh, passage here. Oh, I see why I have that. You know, I was going to say, my dad, when we started this church, my dad started the church. And uh, I, I kind of did it with him. But I remember years before, he finally came out to Utah in 1998. And uh, Syracuse looked very different back then. And um, uh, it, was, it was just homes, really. I mean, you can remember, right? So it was just homes. And, um, it, you know, when you first come into a, a city like this, like many, many cities in America that are nice like this, um, what you find is that there are very nice manicured lawns and, and very nice houses and things like this. And my dad just would walk the streets um, while he was here and just would tell the story about just tears pouring out of his eyes because he became convinced that in some of these homes, that was a put-on. And I know in my life, uh, I'll give you a story about something that happened yesterday. So yesterday, yesterday, uh, I got really scared um, because yesterday there was a party here and we had, I don't even have time, I've got to move quickly through this and I'm going to seem really horrible right now, but I left my daughter at home alone and we've never done that, okay? And it was, uh, there's a whole reason it happened. It was like a perfect storm of, of, of just comic movie stuff that happened for that to happen because my wife had kind of said that she might be taking her and then my daughter was in her closet reading. And so when I looked around the house, I didn't see her. I thought, oh, Becky must have taken her. And then I went somewhere and left her at home, right? Luckily, she didn't notice it. So there, I explained it anyway. You know why I explained it? You know why I explained it like that? Because here we, we came, we were at a birthday party and 95% of me was scared for my daughter being scared. I knew she was probably fine, but it was more just the fear of what I had done. And uh, but 5% of me was, I don't want to look like a bad parent in front of these other people that are here. Okay? Is that a natural human emotion? You ever felt like that? Okay? We're constantly on guard, and that's why I had to explain it to you, even though I'm running out of time, okay? Because I find I'm always having to explain myself, okay? Because I don't want you to think that I'm bad at all the things I'm trying to do, okay? And uh, my dad would walk these streets and become broken because sometimes that's what these nice homes are indicative of, that we put up this good front because it's what we've, we've established that culture on our street, and it can really hurt our future. Um, it can hurt our employment. It can fear, it hurt our social involvement if people find out who we really are and what we're really struggling with. You know, it can become embarrassing for parents if there, something happens at school with their kids and these kinds of things. Well, in a spiritual sense, we have to be broken and assume that many people are walking around and they are projecting the image they want you to see. They would never want you to see who they really are inside. I don't want you to see who I really am inside, right? And uh, my dad became broken for that. And in Colossians 3.12, it says, Therefore, God's chosen, God's chosen ones, holy and loved, put on heartful, heartfelt compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. We are to do this. Heartfelt compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness. These are all things you do to other people, okay? They're all things you're to do that as God's chosen ones who are holy in love. We respond to the heart of the Father by having his heart ourselves, okay? Now, three. We need to be growing in our awareness of, the, of adversity or conflict 
um, in our midst. So in Acts 17, 18, then also some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers, again, he's in the kind of epicenter of philosophical thought at the time, and uh, there's, there's a lot of religion coming and, and colliding at one time. And so it's almost like what's happening in America today. It's like in, in our universities where every opinion must be valid simply because it exists. And so you're kind of at these universities and these professors are all making everybody mad because, you know, anyway. So I, I was reading a lot about uh, uh, some of them this week. You, you've seen some of them in the news and things like that. So um, so it says this in Acts 17, 18. Um, these Stoic philosophers argued with them and some said, what is this pseudo-intellectual trying to say? Speaking of Paul, and others replied, he seems to be a preacher of foreign deities because he was telling the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Okay, so for, what you have to know is, especially on your first few attempts, okay, when you're doing this, you have to be aware that an unbelieving world is going to reject what you have to say. This is just a reality, okay? First um, Corinthians one eighteen says, The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it's God's power to us who are being saved. Okay, so you have to be growing in your awareness of the adversity toward um, the message that we are preaching. We don't live in the Bible Belt, and uh, so it's it's. Uh, uh, and I would tell you that even in the Bible Belt, if you were in the Bible Belt, like where my wife's from in Georgia, and you go out and you try to uh, talk about this stuff, if the person's not already a Christian themselves, they're probably so disgusted with the roteness of, of, of the, the sort of the, the Christian culture around them, that it's, that's a whole other barrier that you're going to have to knock down before you can talk to them like a real person. Okay, and so what does this mean, though, to just simply be aware of the adversity? I'll move very quickly to verse 4. What it means is you have to be growing in your capability to communicate truth. Now, this is the most practical point of the message that I would say, okay? We do have to have the fundamentals in place and things like that. We have to have compassion for people. But this is a real growth area because this involves some bit of study, and not just study of God's word. You have to learn how to communicate to people. Okay? And oftentimes people that you're going to think are not as smart as you. Or just can't seem to pick up what you're putting down. Okay? And so, and so you have to be able to grow in that. Let me show you some scripture. Let me give some commentary on it. And then let me explain it in practical terms. Okay? So here's some scripture. Acts 17. Now all the Athenians. Same story is going on. And foreigners residing there spent their time on nothing else but telling or hearing something new. Okay? So then Paul stood in the middle of the Oropagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that you're extremely religious in every aspect. For as I was passing through and observing the objects of your worship, I even found an altar on which was inscribed to an unknown God. Therefore, what you are worshiping in ignorance... This I proclaim to you. Now, briefly, I preached on this in, in uh, August. And Mary told me before the service that her and Brent went and saw this place where this sermon happened. Uh, what's it called? Do you remember? What's that? Mars Hill. Mars Hill, right, right, right. So you went there? Okay, so that's really great. So um, 
Paul is kind of uh, making this, uh, you know, uh, uh, sermon, and uh, I hope that I don't botch this because I didn't look at my notes from August, okay? Um, but apparently, um, there was a, uh, a bit of a, a disease, like a plague that had broken out. This is like a long time before this had ever happened, okay? And so um, they were wondering, what do we do about this? Which God do we pray to to stop this plague from killing everybody in the village? And so uh, what they did was one of the one of the uh, the religious guys got up and he says, "Hey, I figured it out. Um, it's we don't pray to any of the existing gods we have. It's actually to one we don't know about yet. And so here's what we need to do: is um, I've got a bunch of sheep." And they're really, really hungry, okay? And I've been starving them for a week. I'm not kidding about this, okay? I've been starving these sheep for a week. And so what I want to do is go out on, on Mars Hill here, and we're going to just let them, let them loose, okay? And let's see what they do. And anywhere, so they let these sheep loose, and, and these sheep, you can imagine, they run out, and they're eating all the grass, okay? And, and so they run, they're running through the city and everything, okay? But anywhere where um, there was a, uh, there, every now and then there'd be one of the sheep didn't eat grass, he laid down, okay? And so whenever that happened, they went and they built an altar and, and said it was to an unknown God, and they did this wherever it was, right? And, and they would kill the sheep and sacrifice the sheep, okay? Now, they weren't Jewish, okay? But they, they were just doing whatever they could. They still believed in animal sacrifice. We went in Leviticus, why that would fit in with Egyptian culture and things like this. And so Paul saw the correlation though, right? And so what happened was, uh, years after this event, apparently one of these altars survived, and they took took like this statue and they placed it in the city to kind of remember this event. So as Paul's walking in, he sees this thing, okay? And so he says, this God that you don't know about, this I proclaim to you. And he probably got in to explaining more than's in this passage. Maybe he started explaining how Jesus is the real lamb of God who shed his blood so that you could escape death. I mean, he probably did something like that. He was learning more about them. You may see how, again, Luke includes very specific details. What's the first thing he says in this particular passage? He says, all they did all day long was telling and hearing something new. So Paul brings up something new. Well, I've got something new. Here's this unknown God. Now, he could have just explained the gospel. Maybe he just took his sermon notes from the synagogue he did last Sunday, right? But no, he's been growing in his ability to communicate truth to people. And you know what it takes to do that? Uh, it takes time, and it takes effort, and it takes understanding. It basically takes... I'll use something that's a little more, um, something we can all grasp, okay? Have you ever noticed that sometimes you talk to each one of your kids a little bit differently? Like a certain message will work with one that doesn't work with others? Now, I found like when it's go time and everybody's misbehaving, I just get to that big shouting voice and one message has to do it for everybody, okay? And it doesn't often work. And when I can sit down one-on-one -on -one and just talk to my kids, I find I can come up with the right message that speaks to them because I know how their little mind works. I've been watching it form for like the last 11 years, you know? I know everything about them. And, and, and it's the same way here. Uh, you guys have been doing this for years with other people, people in your family. Uh, uh, Megan will attest that in our family, we know how to talk to each other in specific ways uh, to uh, not just communicate truth, but just to bug each other. Okay, we know how to push each other's buttons. That's an example on the other end of the spectrum. That's the unhealthy part. 
You've learned the communication things, what certain words say, certain word patterns mean to somebody. And that takes time. And we actually have to not just be sitting just constantly going over Scripture, but learning how to take the truth of it and explain it to somebody in language that they will understand. I really do believe that. Because we do it with our kids and we do it with each other. Okay? All right. As your compassion grows, you know more about the person and how they think. As your gospel fluency grows, you're so good at explaining it that you can explain it in different forms, the way that Paul does here. This takes practice. Now, in Acts 17, 27 through 29, we finish up that point. He did this. This is Paul talking to them. God did this, is what he's saying. He did this so that they might seek God and perhaps they might reach out and find him. He just I skipped a few verses here. You can go back and read them. He's explaining that God in ages past designed this whole system. And he did this so they might seek God. Perhaps they might reach out and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and exist. And even as some of your poets have said, see, he brings in their own poets. These are, you know, Greek poets. For we also are his offspring. The last time I preached on this, I had the guy, I can't even remember his name, the guy who quoted this. It's in two different Greek plays. And he says, uh, being, God, being God's offspring then, we shouldn't think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image fashioned by human art and imagination. Now, when that play said, being God's, we are his offspring, it was a play about Zeus. Okay? And Paul says, even your own poets have said, we're God's offspring. But then he says, unlike Zeus, is kind of the subtext here, since we're God's offspring, unlike Zeus, he doesn't, we shouldn't think that that divine nature of a true God is the way you guys celebrate it in Zeus with these idols and other things like gold or silver or stone, an image fashioned by human art and imagination. Paul's become a master at this, right? Because he's mastered that. So what's the fifth thing? What's the fifth thing we have to grow in? I just put this in because of how important it is to get the fundamentals. The fifth thing is a focus on the fundamentals. You've grown in fluency. You've grown in fluency, but you then have to focus on the fundamentals. And what you'll see is even though Paul at this point has them hook, line, and sinker and has made a really good case using their own texts and everything and bringing it back, look how he ends in Acts 17, 30 through 31. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God now commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he said a day when he's going to judge the world in righteousness by the man he's appointed. He's provided this proof to everyone by raising him from the dead. Okay, so he was, even though he had by now, he's making some, you know, really convincing, logical um, argument in their own language. At the end of the day, what's the thing he's going to leave them with? God's call to repent. It's as simple as that. God's call to repent means to, what does it mean to repent? What it means is, because we, we have so many images that what, what repentance looks like. What repentance means is that you agree with God about your sin. You agree with God about the ugly nature of your sin, how it is offensive to him and how it must be dealt with. It must be punished. You agree with God about the offensive nature of your sin. And what robs us of that is normal thinking. I, there's a guy in our church that always just tell me, it's like, you know, I mean, I'm not the best person in the world. He used to say, like, I'm a butthole. Like, that's how he'd say, but he, you know, some other word. And so he, he would say this stuff to me. He'd say it all the time. He's like, I know I'm that, but, uh, you know, I'm not like Charles Manson or anything like this. He's not. Okay. I agree with that. 
Okay? But to be, if you're saying that, it means you probably don't agree with God about how offensive your sin really is to him. I don't think we we often really agree with God about just how utterly offensive it is when we do something selfish. When you do something selfish, why is it that we try to teach that out of our kids? Well, we want them to behave themselves and stuff, but why does God want you to teach it out of your kids? It's because the idea that you might be selfish and withhold something when he actually gave his own son for sinful people would be, can't you see, that would be utterly offensive to him. That he would give us so much and we can't loan out our Nintendo Switch to our sister. Okay? So, and that's why manifested in adult forms when we ought to know better. I'm not trying to make us feel guilty about the selfishness. I'm trying to help us repent about our selfishness so that God can deal with it. Because we can't. By our nature, we're going to cling to our own sense of moral agency. Our own sense of I get to decide what's right and wrong. To repent is to agree that only God gets to decide what is right and wrong. So we focus on that. You can help people with a lot of things. You can help people with their mortgage. You can help people get out of debt. You can help people. Um, look, you can help people fight cancer. You can help people. Um, you can help people with, uh, you know, uh, uh, um, uh, uh, psychological uh, trapping or stronghold that they have in their life. Uh, getting rid of alcohol. You know, you can help get bad things out of the high school here. You can help people with a lot of things. But if you help them with those kind of things, what are they going to do when you're not there anymore? Those are things that sometimes can be, can, can open a person's heart. But if you never get to a real eternal hope message, what good have you really done them to just prolong this facade, this charade that we call life, which is just an optic trick so much of the time, right? I mean, it's not the real thing. It's, it's literally just brain impulses and how we perceive things. This is not reality. Reality is a God who created everything and who desperately wants to have fellowship with you and in spite of your sinfulness has provided a way for you to have fellowship with him where he can satisfy his holiness satisfy his anger against sin and still be in fellowship with you, okay? So that's the gospel and those are the five, five areas we need to grow in and I'm probably a little bit late this morning so I'm going to stop it there and uh, I'm just going to pray and I have one announcement and then we'll be dismissed. So thank you God for your word and I thank you for how much we're learning about the gospel. We really need this book of Acts to go through and just motivate us to get out and tell the world about your son and what you've done for us. I pray that you would help us to become fluent in these things, that you'd grow us in our compassion as we see the adversity that's against us. We would um, learn how to communicate against that. And, but we would always focus on the fundamentals of your gospel, that we are sinful and in need of a holy Savior to deal with our sin for us on our behalf. We pray these things in your name. Amen. I hope you've enjoyed listening to the Lakeside Podcast. If you have any questions at all about the message, if you have any struggles you're going through, or if you simply want to respond to what you've heard, we'd love to hear from you. Go to our website at lakesidelife.org and click on the contact page to let us know what's on your heart. We look forward to hearing from you, and we'll see you next time.